Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Welcome to Circana's Growth Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Joan Driggs. In this special episode, well, special to me anyway, we're going to bust a myth and provide some insight into the current food and beverage landscape. I'm joined by two Circana colleagues who are uniquely qualified to dig deeper into shopping and consumption behavior. David Portolatin is Circana's Senior Vice President and Industry Advisor, Food and Food Service. David is also the author of our annual Eating Patterns in America report, which provides deep market research and consumer insights into the food and food service landscapes. And I know that David has been on the road a lot talking about EPA. I'm also joined by Alistair Steele, who is joining Growth Insights for the first time, which is very unusual because he and I proudly talk every day. Um, Alistair leads Circana's CPG thought leadership team and focuses on emerging macro industry trends and the issues facing CPG and retail executives. So this conversation kind of as a, a level set is based on a report that has recently been published, declining volume sales does not equal less consumption. So there, I just busted the myth, right? Um, you can find the report at circana.com or our heritageiriworldwide.com websites. We're lucky to have you both here today to debunk the myth that because we're experiencing declining volume sales, that we're also consuming less. We are not consuming less. So Alistair, I'm gonna start with you because this myth emerged from CPG data that shows that retail unit volume is declining year over year. And that's true. Um, and obviously that means volume sales are down from pandemic periods, but are we buying or consuming less than we were in 2019? Thank you, Joan. And I am excited to be here and glad it's my first time. And so, you know, and this is probably one of the topics both David and I have heard so much about, right? And we're, we're glad to talk about it because it is worth clarifying what's happening, right? So if you, and so if I start, with kind of the CPG or the food and beverage sold in retail stores. I'll kind of start there and then David can talk about food service because clearly they're, they're linked, right? Where people can buy and consume. And so if you look at just what's sold in retail, I mean, it does, they do feel pain because I think we're probably at like 30 or 31 kind of quad week periods in a row where we've seen year over year decline in volume sold, right? So clearly we felt a lot of volume softness for a long period of time, but we have to remember that was after an incredible uplift in 2020. And so if you were just to look at in CPG retail, you know, food and beverage in CPG retail, uh, where are we versus 19? We are actually seeing from a volume perspective, we are above in most product sets, not every category, but broad product sets. We are seeing higher volume in the last 52 weeks than we did in 2019. Right now, so we felt a lot of pain over a long period of time, but if you go back to the pre-pandemic, we are seeing more volume bought in stores than, than was happening pre-pandemic. Now, the, the other thing is, before I hand it to David to weigh in on the food service side, is a lot of times people do get units. I will say this, units has probably felt more pain than volume. Because what's happened, if you look at when people, you know, changes in purchasing behavior, 
right? One is some of the value channels like club and mass have been gaining share. They inherently sell bigger packs. The second thing that's happening is people face inflation. One way to combat it, if you have the money, is to buy a bigger pack and get better value. So what that means is over the last four years, we've seen a slight shift to bigger packs. So units is gonna look worse in volume. But despite that, you know, the myth has been busted and I let David weigh in on the food service side, but just from a retail perspective, we are seeing higher volumes than we did in 2019. Yeah, that's awesome. Cause I don't think that those larger volume sizes are translating to food service, but David, you can set me, set me clear on that. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to at least begin to uh, clarify the picture a little bit. So yeah. Uh, consuming less. I don't think so. Uh, changing behaviors and behaving differently? Absolutely. And that's why this is such uh, an interesting topic and, and one that we can lean into much more deeply. So in addition to all of the things that Alistair just pointed out about how people are behaving differently at retail that contributes to this apparent erosion of volumes, it's true that at least some of that volume is leaking back out into the away from home or the food service uh, side of the business. Um, you know, halfway through the year in 2023, you know, commercial restaurant visits, for example, are up, you know, almost 1% for the year. Now, uh, unlike what Alistair was saying in his comparison to 2019, commercial restaurant visits are still almost 5% behind where we were in 2019. So if we're going to close that gap, and by the way, maybe another topic for another podcast, I don't think we ever will. But if we were, we'd have a long ways to go. So there's room for more momentum on the food service side. But I think what makes this more complicated for, for executives to try to figure out is that to the degree that there is a flow of volume from retail into food service, it's very uneven uh, for a couple of reasons. And one is that uh, the momentum that we're seeing on the food service landscape is really focused on just a couple of key areas. Uh, morning meal is the big one. You know, as people have come back to the workplace and back to school and things, that morning day part is when we value convenience the most. That's when the value equation really shifts for consumers to get something on the run. And so all of that gain at commercial restaurants, for, for example, to this point has been uh, quick service restaurants and morning meal. Uh, there's also been a little bit in that uh, PM snack day part, so sort of mid-afternoon, which again is in recognition of this idea that People are behaving differently. Even when we do go back to the workplace, it's really not uh, for the same number of hours or on all of the days of the week. And so there are these new emerging day parts that, that are becoming more important than they were before. And if you're a manufacturer who's seeing volume loss on the retail side, unless uh, your portfolio is really well-developed in these kinds of occasions on food service, you may not be seeing uh, that fair exchange of some of this trade-off. Um, and I would also point out that it's different on a category basis too. You know, when we when we make lunch at home, Joan, we make a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and ham and cheese sandwiches. And when we get lunch away from home, we buy a lot of burgers and chicken sandwiches. So yeah, it's just from an even, a, even an ingredient or a category standpoint, it's just not going to be an even flow of information uh, from one side to the other. And I think you've, you've, said this before, even about breakfast too, that our breakfast might look different. You know, at home, we might be having a bowl of cereal, but we still are probably, or maybe getting a breakfast sandwich on our way to work or school. That's right? exactly right. 
Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, breakfast sandwich, and we've seen, um, you know, coffee. Uh, you know, the coffee places are, are generally doing better uh, at morning meal. And, um, you know, we're hoping some of that translates into lunch in the second half of the year. But uh, lunch remains a little more home-centric, uh, Alistair, where I think people are still relying on their refrigerator, their pantry, their freezer, and things they bought at retail for lunch a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think they are, right? And we, we have seen, it's interesting because tying to the breakfast notion, right, of, of, of out of home, we've definitely seen a bit more softness in the breakfast side of retail, right? And I think it's linked to the out of home. But it is interesting, right? Because this whole myth about volume or consumption down, right? Because some folks could say, well, gosh, you know, Alistair said the retail is a little bit above where it was 19, and but David says they're a little bit below, and right. So some folks may still want to say, hey, maybe combined the universe is consuming less. And I don't think you, any of the three of us believe that, right? I mean, one interesting stat, and this is using kind of third-party data, is in the US, you know, people buy on a daily basis about 3,700 calories of food. Right. And we know we don't consume that. Right. And we know there's a fair amount of waste in, in, the, in, the, in the U.S. and around the world today. So 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 they may they could be conceivably times where they buy less, but it doesn't mean they consume less. Right. And actually, I saw some data that was interesting between 2007, and 2009, the number of calories bought in the U.S. went down by three percent. But again, it was not because they consumed less. It was just as you get squeezed, you probably avoid throwing out as much food. And therefore, on the surface, it may look like you consume less, but I don't think we believe that for a second. Oh, no, we have a lot of consumer data that points to how people are trying to avoid food waste. You know, they're they're taking more leftovers for lunch. That's they're right. trying to repurpose things that are already in their home. Um, and there's even, you know, if you really get down to it, there's even more reliance on things like food banks than, yeah. you know, pre-pandemic. So. That's not showing up in our POS data by any stretch. Well, so and in 2020, when grocery shelves were bare because everybody, you know, hoarded everything they could, we stocked those pantries and freezers to the brim. Uh, yeah. Some people even went out and bought a second freezer. And now we're working our way through all of that at-home inventory, too. So that's stuff that was already bought, to Alistair's point. That, sure, uh, things like finally... pasta and rice have a very right. long shelf life. That's right. So, Alistair, I want to go back and talk a little bit about some of those headwinds, um, you know, that consumers are facing. There's a lot of credit card debt. Um, clearly, food inflation is something that we've talked about for more than a year. So yeah. tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's definitely headwinds right now. I think, you know, none of us are economists, right? So we're not going to necessarily talk about all the stuff economists talk about. But it is some, there's some macro things we're talking about. Right. I think one is the, gov the, the government poured in $1.5 trillion to the two bottom quartiles of income during the pandemic. Right. That was obviously a very calculated move to stimulate spending and, and make sure the economy kept moving. And, and that resulted in people spending the money. Right. Those those income groups bought, traded up. Right. Some of them couldn't eat out. So they wanted to spur a bit at home and it kept spending and premium brands did really, really well in this period in, in retail. And so, so there's a lot of extra money put into the system, right? Which is eventually now starting to taper off. Um, I think to your point with credit cards, two things are happening, right? The cost of a credit card, right? If you carry a balance, it's quickly going up a lot. And then the amount of credit card debt has been going up quite a bit. And I just heard even this morning, the amount of home equity lines of credit of people's homes is starting to go up quite a bit, right? And what that means is, and it's a natural reaction, right? There's some of this extra money they had 
um, is is going away, right? Then people don't people are slower to change their behaviors, right? So one way to kind of keep some of their behaviors when they don't have as much coming in is take on more debt. Now the, the concern there is that's not sustainable in the long run, right? At some point in time, people are going to have to either get more money coming in or spend less, right? They can't keep down this path. And and obviously we talked about inflation, right? David will talk about what he sees on the food service side, but in retail. Right? A lot of times people talk about prices up 10% or 11%, but that's just versus year ago. If we take a step back and look at where we are versus 19, for food and beverage and retail, we're talking 30%. Some categories are 50% higher than they were, right? So, so the price has gone up, and, and part of that is, is why people are taking on debt, right? Yes, wages have gone up maybe 15% in that period of time, but again, prices have gone up more than wages, we don't have as much stimulus money coming in, right? Is why people are taking on more debt. And so that is a concern for us. So these are headwinds and, and you know, we can talk about how people are changing the behaviors to, to accordingly to adjust for that. And there are places they are, even though they're not consuming less. Now, do we feel we're still in pretty good shape? I think we still feel pretty good about things, right? The next thing is obviously the student loan and SNAP happened a few months ago. But the reality is, I think as long as the job market holds well and wait, there's still some wage growth, right? I don't think we think the sky is falling, right? I think where we would start to get worried is if we start to see an erosion on top of all this in, in the kind of employment and in, in, in the labor market, right? If that starts to soften, obviously then I think, you know, all bets are off to some extent at that point. So David, what does it look like, you know, in the food service realm? Because Inflation has been even higher there, um, hasn't it? Like prices have increased even more there. And we know that the difference between, you know, a meal prepared from food sourced at home or retail versus food service is more than four times. It's more than four times. And that gap, Joan, continues to get wider and wider. You know, we went through a period of time over the last couple of years where inflation at grocery actually was a lot higher on a percentage basis uh, than food service. But if you look at things over the longer term, you know, food service uh, prices have been rising faster than retail for many, many, many years now. And so that gap uh, continues to widen. And, uh, you know, especially for lower income consumers, that becomes a real headwind uh, for, you know, customer traffic formation on the uh, food service side of the business. Now, uh, especially uh, here recently, uh, there's been some disinflation uh particularly on the retail side, we're not seeing that at the same rate on the food service side. Uh, and so what you're seeing is that a deal has become more important. Uh, what the consumer perceives as a deal or a discount, uh, maybe you open up your digital app and there's a special coupon there, or maybe you're a loyalty uh, program uh, winner and you redeem some points for some free food items. Uh, those are the kinds of things that are really driving uh, some of the traffic growth for those that are doing well on the food service side of the equation, but uh, you know, cost that higher cost of a meal away from home is certainly a big factor, and and that's why one of the other areas where we're seeing momentum in food service right now. We've talked a lot about commercial restaurants, but there's the whole non-commercial food service side of the equation, and for example. Uh, what we call the business and industry sector, which think about your company cafeteria, your workplace uh, cafeteria, uh, you know, customer uh, transactions at those outlets are up 17, 18% year over year. Now, a lot of times uh, employers are either offering a subsidized cost there, or in some cases, free lunch, free breakfast, if you just come back to the workplace. 
Uh, and you know, we've seen a lot of news of that. And some companies say, hey, we can't keep doing that. Uh, but in any case, it's usually a much more affordable option uh, than going out to eat. And so uh, we've been seeing a lot of gain uh, here in the last several months, really throughout 2023 uh, in that segment uh, for food service. Well, I think that's really interesting. And I want to go back to even just the traditional food service because I really like the way the industry, restaurants and you know, restaurants are engaging with consumers on such a personal level. You know, they've really, they've really made the most of their relationships and their apps to get people to come in and try new things and just dine in or take out. And when we look at CPG, there are more promotions out there, Alistair, but they're not very deep. They're not really that compelling. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic, right, on the on the promo side, because right? I, you know, I'm personally, I am a huge fan of the apps in, in the restaurant business. I tell David this all the time. I have two young kids, right? We, I use the app always, right, to get deals. And so I totally get why that's driving, traffic, and helping. Um, I also have one, one of my youngest is now luckily eating lunch at school. I'm trying to get my second one to avoid having to make lunch for him, but it writes kind of a process. But on the retail side, and it's interesting too, because clearly value channels have started to do well, right? And by value, this could be mass, right? I think we've all read Walmart. We've seen the earnings report. We've seen the stock price. Walmart has done well, right? They're obviously positioning it in everyday value. It resonates. You have discount grocery stores. I think are doing pretty well. Um, whereas the traditional grocery channel is not new. Well. Now that, that was true before the pandemic, but it's, it's probably gotten worse in the pandemic. And so one of the ways the, the grocery channels where you tend to see a lot of high low promos, right? Deep promos, put it on the front page of circular, drive traffic to the store, right? And drive them to buy more. And in the pandemic, when we didn't have, we had supply chain issues, right? We had a hard time even keeping stuff on the shelf. So of course, why would the retailer manufacturer promote it? It wouldn't make any sense. So promos were cut a lot in 2020, 2021, really due to supply chain, right? There was more demand than there was supply. So why would you reduce the price? Now they've been working their way slowly back in 2022 and 23 in terms of level of promotions, amount of promotions. Um, and, but the depth of it is still not where it was, but more importantly, right? When the prices have gone up 30, 40, 50%, when you see that deal on the shelf, you know, it used to be, you know, two for four or two for five. And now it's like two for six or two for seven. While it must give you a good discount, it just doesn't feel like the promo price I was used to years ago, right? So it doesn't really catch my eye. I think that's one factor. The other factor is, you know, as you run out of money, right? As you run out of money, I maybe used to buy four or five of that item when it was on deal, a really nice price. I'd buy four or five, put it in my freezer, put it in my pantry. Now, when I really am running out of money at the end of the month, I just don't have the money to stock up the way I used to, right? So those are factors that are making, while there are a lot of promos out there in retail, um, and, and, you know, people have responded some, but we're starting to see a point where maybe consumers are not responding to all these deals, right? To your point, Joan, part of it, is it doesn't feel like a good price, the, the discount isn't there. And part of it, maybe people are running out of money, the people who used to take advantage of these problems. And people are making more frequent visits with smaller baskets to get what they want or what they need, to your point. So particularly for like fresh items, you know, they're not buying a lot. They're buying smaller portions because they know they want to consume it. Um, and frankly, produce has proven to be kind of a good deal because you can buy, you know, smaller quantities. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely always seasonal stuff. So 
those are some of the trade down behaviors that I've that I've noticed. I do think that there's still room for some of those pockets of premiumization, you know, particularly in the perimeter area where people want to buy like a small thing to kind of up the experience. Um, David, I'd like to hear from you, like what some of those trade down behaviors look like. I mean, you already mentioned that QSR is doing well. And I, I hate to ask, but at whose expense? Well, some of it is trade down from full service restaurants to quick service restaurants. Some of it, Joan, is just that you know, we've structurally changed the restaurant landscape. Uh, I was just looking a, a moment ago. We, we've opened, uh, you know, 10, 12,000 new full service restaurants in the last year. We're still 9,000 fewer than there were in 2019. We're just a, a forevermore, a, a more on the go off premises uh, industry on the restaurant side. And that means, you know, quick service restaurants. With that said, you know, there's a price tier uh, component to that. And over the last year or so, we did see a lot of trading down to lower price tiers, including uh, convenience stores, convenience store food service operations at a lower price point. I think some of that trade down behavior has started to normalize a little bit. And in some cases, we actually see some people trading uh, back up a little bit, particularly into, say, that fast casual segment, which you know we classify as a quick service restaurant, but it's a little bit better quality, sells at a little higher price point, uh, you know, a little more uh, elevated uh, from a culinary standpoint. Uh and, and for a lot of consumers, that is a, a good value equation. It's a lot less expensive than going to a traditional full-service restaurant, uh, but you get a little bit better, you supposedly get a little bit better experience, a little bit better uh, food quality. Uh, so yeah, consumers are looking for the best bang for their buck. But I will say this, on the restaurant side of the equation, that does not always mean the absolute lowest price point. Because if I was really motivated for the absolute lowest cost, I'm going to the retail store every time because as we already talked about, it's about 4X difference in cost for that eating occasion. Uh, so consumers tend to be a little more motivated by the quality, the experience, those craveable indulgences that we get away from home that we maybe can't make for ourselves at home. But uh, if you can give me a deal on it uh, at the same time, well, all the better. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think even even as we are talking about how strapped consumers are and how things might look on the surface and aren't really under, you know, when we peel away a couple layers, people still define value in their own way. And in many instances, particularly in the CPG world, it might be convenience. You know, it might be um, something that really makes that meal exceptional, like a great bottle of wine or a decent cut of meat. So I get it. I totally get it. And um and I want to just ask one last question before I kind of wrap things up. David, with the 1% increase in food service from like a year ago, that actually feels pretty big to me. Like that, you know, I know it, it might sound like a small number, but it's such a large dollar universe. Yeah, in a historical context, 1% uh, in a very mature industry is is a really big deal. And bear in mind, that still leaves us, you know, four plus percent behind uh, 2019. So there's still room for improvement uh, for more upside. One of the things that we look at a lot is a share of occasions. So it, when a consumer had an eating occasion, did I source that item from a retail store or from food service? And I, I think we've really leveled off into sort of the, the new reset 
about 86% of our occasions coming from a retail store, about 14% coming from a food service outlet. There's room for growth, you know, volume growth on both sides of that equation without really changing that share relationship. Uh, that number really doesn't change a whole lot apart from these really big uh, disruptive events like a pandemic. And uh, I really uh, feel pretty confident that we've settled back into this very stable balance. So, you know, we could still have, uh, you know, we're still expecting about 1% growth in commercial restaurant visits uh, in 2023. And we expect some of that momentum to continue into 2024. That won't be enough to shift the balance from a share of occasion standpoint. We're still probably going to be right around that 86% to 14% split. Well, I, I want to end there because to me, it's still a high note where there's still opportunities for growth, even though we're not quite where we were. I think that what we're talking about today is maybe it's the current new normal, but we have to, everybody needs to like shift their expectations of we're not going back, you know, and if industries can learn from each other, I would say that the grocery retail industry needs to learn from food service on learning how to connect with those shoppers and redefine value for those shoppers to get them in the door. Um, and I, again, I'll take any upside. So I just want to recap a few things that I've heard today that, hey, volume has been declining for a long time, thanks to the pandemic, um, but that we're still seeing higher, higher volume than we were in 2019. Um, and Alistair's saying, like, you know, for, for the general population, look at volume versus units, because things shift, you know, things shift, they get bigger, they get smaller. Um, so we, so in David, you brought up the very bold and bold statement of this is what we're talking about, that yeah, we're not eating less, but we are behaving very differently. Um, and then you mentioned like some of the growth or the rebounding of food service, still more, still the morning day part and maybe some PM snacking where a lot of growth is happening, but there's still opportunities for other growth. Um, disinflation might be happening at retail a little bit. Um, it's not happening at food service. And that might be why we see that 86% split for retail versus 14% split for the food service dollar. So with that, I want to thank you both for your time. And I look forward to our next conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Zirconic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zircona Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.